I'm Dr. Chris Green, and I've written a new book called God's Healing Code, A Biblical Prescription Restoring Body and Soul. It's for anyone who wants to improve their health naturally with biblical wisdom. I show my readers specific strategies for healthy eating and reasonable exercise right from the pages of the Bible. Through stories of real people, we demystify much of the confusion surrounding diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and chronic pain. I explain how ancient Hebrew makes it easy to know how food can be healing and exercise fun and doable at any age. I look forward to spending time with you on the upcoming interview with Jeff Morton and Dr. Dina Dye on a special health edition of Returning to Eden. Until then, find out more about biblical health and how to get a jump start on restoring your energy and vitality at GodsHealingCode.com. Good evening, everybody. This is Jeff Morton uh, with my co-host tonight, Ryan White. Ryan, are you there? I'm here. Uh, well, great. Um, Ryan's going to be with us for another week, or today, I should say. Dina Dye will be back next week. And uh, we are looking forward to the interview with Dr. Chris Green. He wrote an incredible book. It's called God's Healing Code, A Biblical Prescription, Restoring Body and Soul. And uh, you can check out his website. Just go to, well, he's got a blog, too, drchrisgreen.com. That's green with an E. So uh, we're looking forward to Ryan. He's probably, or um, Chris, we're going to have him on probably, uh, well, uh, first part of next month for sure. Just need to coordinate that with Dina when she gets back. And uh, <clears throat> we had an interesting show last week. We were talking about new creation. We kind of tapped into it a little bit. And so because we have Ryan and because he's going to be here for just another night, uh, you can obviously I'm, I'm curious to hear what he has to say concerning new creation. And, of course, you can go to his website, rootedintour.com, and check out everything that he's doing. He also has a television program on israeltvnetwork.com, which is extremely interesting. Uh, you can check him out there. But uh, Ryan White, thank you for being with us again and co-hosting. And how are you, my friend? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing uh, good. <laughs> Outstanding. So you're going to talk tonight about new creation. Yeah. And I kind of want to hear what you have to say. So I didn't plan a whole lot of questions. If something pops up, I'll pop in and, and ask sure. it. But I'd like our audience to hear a little bit about this. I've listened to some of this on your website and I'm curious to hear a little bit more in the 30 minutes that we have. So take it away, my friend. <laughs> All right. So uh, new creation is uh, you know, one of the, the key verses we see, speaking of new creation, why it's so important is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, which tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is new creation. The old things have passed away. The old things have come. And so, you know, we really see that this is what is supposed to be going on. You know, we, we get to the altar call in the church or uh, coming into Hebrew roots or Messianic faith. And the question is, is once you're in the door, what do you, you know, what's supposed to change in your life? And ultimately the Bible teaches that it is, you're supposed to become a new creation. Uh, and when you start to, to, to see the language of what new creation actually means and what creation language is, 
you'll find, I mean, I, I find it everywhere now when you, you start to understand the concept behind that. And so really to, to begin understanding this, we need to go to, of course, Genesis, to Genesis 1. Always to the beginning. <laughs> Always to the beginning, right? It's, it's that concept of we know, where we, we know where we were with Yeshua in the first century, but in order to know where we're going after that, we need to know where we started from, right, in order to understand the, the proper trajectory, if you will. And so, yeah, going back to the beginning, and there are two very, very key, uh, or sorry, three very key verses we find in Genesis 1, speaking of the creation of man, right? It says, give me a second here, I forgot to pull up my Bible program before the, the show. So in Genesis 1 verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the cattle on the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So those are our first two verses. And if you notice, I was, I was kind of emphasizing it, but three times, actually really four times, God says, let us make man in our image, in the image of God. We see that three times, and then once he says, in our likeness. Right? Now, for us... You know, a lot of times we've been raised, oh, well, this means, you know, his attributes or this, that, or the other. But what you go to, for example, when you go to Genesis chapter 5, it says this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, blessed them, blah, blah, blah. And Adam lived 130 years, and he became a father of a son in his own likeness, according to his own image. So Seth is not in the image of God. Seth is in the image of Adam. Now, if we were to live in the ancient Near Eastern world and we were to understand what an image meant to them, this, this verse would become extremely significant because that, that same word that is used there for image in Genesis 1.26 and 1.27 is also used elsewhere for idol. It's, huh. it's really the same word. So God created man to be his idol. <laughs> which That's interesting. I remember you saying that on your, uh, uh, what the information I was looking at, listening to on your website, and I went, okay, you're going to have to unpackage this one for me. <laughs> for us, we're like, oh, well, there's supposed, not supposed to be any images. Well, God said not to for us to create any graven images, anything of the earth above or anything like that. Why? I'm going to propose to you, and I'll, we'll get on to this. That's because we're supposed to be his image. There's nothing other than a, a human being doing what is God has commanded him to do that can be the image of God. You can't, can't no statue can ever uh, be the image of God. So when we go and we look at what idols were, in the ancient world. This is where we really start to, to really get a deep message here. Because they didn't believe that the idol was their god. They believed that the idol represented their god. It was the representative of their god to the people. And they believed that their god could fill that image 
but not necessarily be limited to that image. Right. right? So Adam, as the image of God, he was supposed to represent God to creation. He's supposed to, to uh, the word oftentimes is used as to reflect. He reflects God's ruling, his righteous ruling, into creation. And when we're called to be a new creation, that becomes our role. We are supposed to be reflective of God's character, of his justice, uh, of his righteous rule into creation. When God created the world, he didn't create it in a, a completely completed state. Right? He left some things for Adam to do. He puts Adam there in the garden. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, which would imply that the earth was not full, the earth was not subdued, and so he, he gives Adam that role to be his king on the earth. To he, God rules through mankind. Right? Meaning, he, meaning the kingdom concept is being introduced not something that a man created. That's that's kind of important in the way that I think about all of this. Exactly. So go ahead, please, continue. He's a leadership structure. He's the head, but he has people doing his his bidding. In a and, and, it, and here's the difference, because in other ancient Near Eastern myths, their gods created humans to be their slaves, to just be slave laborers, right? Whereas God creates mankind to be... To rule with him, not to be his slave, but to share in his power of ruling over the earth. Which was the difference between the uh, monotheistic template yeah. that we all know today versus all of the uh, gods of the ancient world. They, everybody was a slave. Well, almost everybody. <laughs> okay, go ahead. There were some people who were the images of their gods. But it wasn't everyone. It was only basically the king and the priests and the, the ruling elite. Right? Okay. So it was it was the aristocracy, the upper class, they're in the image of God of their God, and therefore they're the ones who represent their God to the people, but then the people are just slaves. They're just created to be to work for the kings, and by working for the kings, they're ultimately working for the gods. And so you, you have their you know what comes to mind instantly with a little softening of that ancient uh, Near East structure is the Pope. That's kind of a kind of a similar thing or a an advancement through the centuries of the same kind of thing. But yeah, well, yeah. I don't want to get sidetracked because you know Yeshua talks about. It. He says, uh, you know, we're not going to do power the same way that the rulers of this world are going to do it. We're going to do it. A different way. If you want to be great, become a servant. If you want to be, you know, first in the kingdom, become someone's slave. And so Yeshua kind of flips that world idea upside down. But unfortunately, the Catholic Church puts it back into the world's power structure, where everyone serves, you know, the Pope essentially, rather than the Pope being supposed to. Who, if the if the Catholic Church was structured after the way the Bible calls for it, the Pope should be the biggest servant of the people, not the one that everyone is, you know, uh, right. trying to get to for parades and, and stuff. And that was my comparison. I, I'm not putting anyone down here. I'm just saying that the ancient world, that would have been normal. Yeah. Go ahead. So, I mean, and, and if you think about it, 
it really does make sense with the idea of us supposed, supposing to be, or we are supposed to be the image of God, right? Because when you take a an atheist or uh, you know a, a Buddhist, a Muslim, whatever, how many of them are really going to read the Bible and try to figure out for themselves who our God is? Probably yeah, none of them. Yeah, maybe one percent, if that. And even then, they're going to come with a big a lot of skepticism. So how do they experience our God? By his representatives. By his representatives, by his, his idols. So the question is, are we truly being in the image of God, being his representative by keeping his commandments? I mean, that, and that's really what Yeshua was doing. You, you, know, you look at uh, Hebrews 1, for example. Hebrews 1 starts off with this, this very concept here. He says... Uh, the, speaking of Yeshua, that he is the reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's very being. So right? he was, he he was what Adam failed to be. He's yeah, and that's why they call him the last Adam. Or you could equally, because remember the word Adam also means human. Right. In Hebrew. You could actually translate that word last Adam as the ultimate human. Right. He's what Adam should have been. He's the, the true representative of God. And this is where, unfortunately, religious systems have, have been going astray, is they say, oh, he did it for us, so we don't have to. That's not what the, the, the New Testament says. It says he did it, therefore we should follow his example. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Uh, you know, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate the Messiah. You know, all, all these things go back to the, the concept that he comes to show us how to do it, not to do it for us so that we can just sit around and wait to be raptured out. <laughs> you know? So, so in the, you know, I could open up a whole thing here. But in the black church, uh, it's been my experience that Jesus did it all. He took care of it all. And when I hear that, I realize that there's, there's a great big disconnect between be fruitful and multiply, represent the kingdom of God, or wait for the, I call it the airlift. Yeah. Okay, so, so go ahead. I mean, and that, that's really very key because that's, that's our second verse, Genesis 1, verse 28. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. That is mankind's mission. That's his vocation. And you're going to see parts of that same command repeated over and over and over throughout Scripture. So let's, I, I know we don't have a whole lot of time, so you know, for any of those of you who want to go through all of these, uh, you know, please check out the teaching on my website, but we're just going to go through some really quick ones here. So after the flood, right, God destroys the earth with a flood, and then in Genesis 9, verse 1, 9, verse 7, and 9, verse 19, he repeats the same thing three times. It says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Right? He gives them that same mission. And then with the, the patriarchs, we see the thing. The same same thing. A, um, Abraham is God says, "I will multiply you exceedingly." He tells Isaac, "I will multiply your descendants." 
And then when you get to Exodus 1, verse 7, right, Israel's in Egypt, and it says, But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty. So in Egypt, interestingly enough, they were starting to fulfill the mandate of Adam, the, the, the mission that Adam was given. And, you know, again, you keep seeing this language. Uh, Leviticus 26, he says, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, I will turn towards you and make you fruitful and multiply you. Right? Same language there. Uh, and the problem then, of course, we know, Israel goes into the land, and what do they do? Rather they than multiplying images of God, they become images of other gods. They go after... Right other idols. And we're, you see this concept is, I can't remember if we read this last week, but we'll, we'll read it again if we haven't. Psalms 115, verse 4. Right? It says, Their idols are silver and gold, the works of human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot fill, feet but do not walk. They make no sound in their throat. Those who make them will become like them. So also those who trust in them. <clears throat> so the I've read that two times, but there's a different <laughs> meaning tonight on that. It's wow. The concept there is you become what you worship. Right. Whether it's for good, if you're if you worship Yahweh, you become like God. You can become into his image. And if you don't worship God, you worship something else, you become in the image of that other thing. You know, we, if you idolize someone, you try to emulate them. You try to become like them. And so when people are worshiping these other gods, they're becoming like the idols that they worship. I'm reminded of Ezekiel 20, where he talks about three different times. I led you through the Red Sea and basically watched you carry your idol mentality with you. I took you out into the wilderness, and you took your idol worship with you. Your children took the idol worship into the land. I told you not to do that. I, you're going to die in the wilderness. You're going to be scattered. You're going to be divided. And it would all three instances was about idols. Idols, yep. So, so go ahead. I'm, this is, let me ask you a question. When is the first time that God starts to call Israel a stiff-necked people? I think it's in Exodus, or in the wilderness. But it's after the golden calf. Oh, yeah, okay. So, so they worship a golden calf who's who's made out of metal, and he can't move his neck, and so God starts to call them stiff-necked, just like the idol that they created. That's interesting. I've never made that connection before, because it's lifeless. It's lifeless. What? Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You become like what you worship. If you worship an idol, you become lifeless. You become mm -hmm. dead. Because God's whole commission was life. So if you worship God, you're going to, he's the God of life. You're going to become life itself. You're going to, you're, you're going to inherit eternal life. We've <laughs> turned the Bible into the Encyclopedia Britannica, and it's really not that complicated, is it? <laughs> Go ahead. No, this is, this is good. When you start to, like, like I said, when you start to see this stuff, it, it really just opens up and blossoms, uh, you know, your understanding of Scripture. And you, you think about how many times is Israel accused of being, not be, having ears but cannot hear. You think of Isaiah 6, right? 
uh, Isaiah is actually told to go prophesy to the people so that they won't hear and that they won't see. And then Yeshua actually quotes, when you know, why did? Let me ask you a question. Why did Yeshua teach in parables? <laughs> um, Dina's talked about this a million times, but, but please go ahead. So, and I'm not I'm not sure if I'll be able to remember the exact verse where he says this. So hopefully you'll you'll be able to remember. Um, there's one time that Yeshua, after he tells the parable, his disciples ask him about it, and he tells them it's so that people will hear but not understand and see but not perceive because otherwise they would turn from their wicked ways and God would forgive them. So the whole idea of parables is actually not to help them understand but to actually make it so that the people who hear them don't get it. Which is a, no, a that's, uh, Okay, i got to wrap my mind around that. He's, and he's actually quoting Isaiah 6. I, I, um, let me see. I, I might actually be able to find it here in my footnotes. Because um, he, he, I mean, he, he directly quotes this. No, it's, it's not here. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of uh, an interesting thing there. But, you know, anyways, so Matthew, or sorry, Mark 4, verse 12 is where, where he talks about it. Mark 4, verse 12. I'm taking notes. <laughs> I'll take that one out. But you know something I was thinking about what you were saying as far as idol, because when Yeshua Jesus performed the miracles, and this dawned on me about four years ago, he made the eyes to see, yep. the ears to hear, he made the body healed, he made the legs to walk, and he made the dead to live. Every miracle had to do with restoring the body and its functions so that they could represent a living being as opposed to a dead thing. He's overcoming the effects of idolatry. Yes, that's that's battling idolatry. Okay, so that's that's real cool. Thinking, you know, we've always been raised. Oh, he was just doing some you know magic tricks so people think he was the Messiah. No, he's he's literally battling chaos. And this is, this is how creation was understood in the ancient world. All the other nations, and I'm sure you and Dina have talked about this, they believe that the world was formed through a battle with chaos. Right. Almost right. every culture believed that. And you actually see some of that language in the Hebrew Bible, not in Genesis, because they're trying to send a very specific message, but later on it talks about God battling Rahab uh, and, and stuff like that. Here, Yeshua, he, he calms the sea. The sea was represented chaos. He's casting out demons, which represent chaos, and he's healing people who are in chaos because of their infirmities. He's, he's going about restoring creation. Dean and I talked about when Jesus walked on water, calmed the sea, and what we have in our theology is, you know, he calmed the seas and made the seas quiet. But everybody that was present would have seen him overcoming Leviathan, overcoming the gods of the deep. They would not have even thought about him. Wow, he made the sea perfectly glass. Still, no, he's defeating what's under the sea, which would yeah. have been chaos, bad, uh, horrible things. The kings of the sea. And that's what they would have been. That's what they were intimating: is he even has authority 
over the gods of the of the seas of the oceans. Yeah, and that and that's that creation concept. Because if you be, if you defeat the chaos, then you use creation language. That's why uh, Israel is spoken of being created by by God at the Red Sea because there that's where he defeats Rahab, i.e. Pharaoh. Yes, uh, that's that's in Isaiah. I don't remember. I think it's Isaiah forty-nine. I can't remember exactly, off the top of my head. So we also see this concept of not bearing fruit in, because we're it, we talked about Israel's mandate was to bear fruit, to increase and multiply, increase images of God, which does include having children, but it, it really means to go out and make images of God out of other people, i.e., convert them and they become images of God, right? Well, I don't know that I like that word, convert. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. It's been so misused, but I do know what you mean. In other yeah, words, to go to people to represent the citizenry of the kingdom and well, represent and, the king. And this is the this was the problem. I mean, you got a good point there, because what does Yeshua say? Yeshua says to the Pharisees, he says, you guys travel to the ends of the earth to make one single convert and when you do that, you make him twice the son of hell that you are. Uh -huh. See, their problem was is they were trying to convert people and make them disciples of themselves. Of they, their image. Of their own image. And their right. own image was corrupt. Right. They weren't doing what, what God wanted them to. And so Yeshua comes to make us into images of God, not into images of Paul or Apollos or any of those, you know, that, that, that same language that Paul uses. Don't, don't imitate, you know, it's not about me. It's about being in the image of God. I could uh, I could really pick on what we've done to Paul right now, but I <laughs> won't. <laughs> I, I I'm of the firm belief that if Paul was alive today, he would be going, "What in God's name did you guys do?" <laughs> but anyway, please please continue, Ryan. This is very interesting. So remember when Yeshua goes and and uh, cleanses the temple. And yes. a lot of people say he's rejecting the temple system there, which which is kind of hard to, to back up, considering the disciples continued to go to the temple, and Paul went to the temple to Feast sacrifice. He's bread. Yeah. But you notice, what does he do before he goes? In, in Mark 11, before he goes, is, or he goes in and it says he inspects the temple, and then he comes out and he curses the fig tree, and then he goes back in and he cleanses the temple, and then he comes out and he teaches about why he cursed the fig tree. Right? And he cursed the fig tree because why? It, it wasn't was bearing any fruit. Bear fruit. Right. And when he goes in and he cleanses the temple, you notice where he's at. He's not in the actual temple itself. He's in the what's called the Court of the Gentiles, which is this big addition onto the temple complex. And because of first century politics, they had put up what's called the Sorag, which was a barrier around the actual temple, which said no Gentile can cross this this barrier. Oh, but in the Mishkan, that would have been considered the nations or the place where the. But but go ahead, that's another conversation. So, the only place that someone coming in from the nations, the only place that they can come to the temple and worship God, is in this court of the Gentiles, right? Right. Now, what else not, is going on? You. Go ahead, I. That what else me, bro. in the court of the Gentiles at the same time these people are trying to worship? Please, go. It's a marketplace. Right? Oh. They're money changers. 
They're selling animals. Can you imagine if every time you went to worship God, you had to do it in the middle of a you know of a busy marketplace where people are. Selling? Some of those marketplaces are still there in the uh, rubble, but I yeah. see what you're saying. Go ahead. Yeah, imagine that was the only place he could come you know to the temple and pray was in that location. Keep the Gentiles out there in the. Yeah, that so sounds too. They're not actually being fruitful because they're they're treating them as second class citizens. Right. They're not giving them full rights, and that's why later on Paul says there's neither you know Jew nor Greek, male female, etc. etc. But all are a new creation in Messiah. And so in it wasn't a theological thing that Paul was addressing. It was a literal thing. Quit treating them like they are not new creation. Stop treating them like they like Rome treats you. Yeah, exactly. that's what he was saying. And the, and, and the Mishnah talks about that. The Mishnah talks about right. that there was ten castes that came out of Babylon. I mean, they they have set up their own caste system within the, the Judaism. You know, and and so yeah, they're acting exactly like the Romans were. Dude, I'm just looking at the thing here. Six twenty-eight. My God, we we didn't even scratch this. <laughs> yeah, it's like like I said. I mean, it's a it's a huge subject. We didn't even talk about the connections with the temple. Go go I'm, ahead though, uh, Scott. If you're hearing me, uh, we're gonna go a little long tonight. I I hope you don't mind. I'm talking, of course, Scott Bell, the owner of Worship and Word Radio. I want you to get this out. So go ahead. Well, I'll shut up. <laughs> I wanted to point out that if you read through, uh, so, so Mark 16, verse 15, Yeshua says, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. Right? And then you hit the book of Acts. Acts 6, verse 1, the disciples were increasing in number. 6, verse 7, the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. Uh, and you keep on going over and over again. The Acts 12, verse 24, the word of Yahweh continued to grow and be multiplied. So you see that after the cross, there, you know, Yeshua's battled chaos, and ultimately the cross is the ultimate battle with chaos. A, a shameful death is the ultimate form of chaos, and Yeshua battles that not through fighting you know, Caesar, but through go, undergoing death and then resurrecting. Submission. There's, Submission to it, or submission to God, right. and uh, you know, and so death has no hold anymore. You know, so, that's interesting. I don't know if you. I'm sorry, but I don't know if you folks just got that. He's actually performing the duties of a high priest and a king and a coming king by doing battle with the forces of hell that we were all succumbed to, but he's actually doing something to, to advance the kingdom. He's, he's literally at, at war. Well, and you think about this, the, the Jews in the first century, they were looking for someone to defeat Rome. But if that would have happened, what would have really changed? Nothing. No. It would have been another Rome. The, the Hasmoneans, the, the Maccabees, they defeated Antiochus Epiphanes. They set up a kingdom... But within, a, within, I think it was like 50, no, about 100 years. Within 100 years, Rome. there was a war between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And Antiochus Epiphanes has 
800 Pharisees crucified and their women, their, their wives and children brought to them while they're hanging there alive on crosses and has their family's throats slit. That's what a kingdom that, that they had created turned into within 100 years. You know, you just blew my mind open a little bit here because I never, you know, I still got that Western template where I'm actually seeing Jesus, and I'll use the word Jesus, uh, you know, doing something. But what he's actually doing is laying down the groundwork that will raise up new creation. Exactly. He's, oh. he's laying down the groundwork to show us how to be a kingdom. The yes. kingdom is not about taking the sword and converting people through violence like Islam does today. They're and the antithesis. Yesterday and the day before yesterday. We're, we're a kingdom. And this is, I mean, realistically, if you look at history, Christianity has always spread the most when it's persecuted. Mm -hmm. Even in the world today, in China, it's spreading like wildfire, whereas it's dying out in the U.S. and in Europe right now because there's not persecution. We think we're persecuted, but we don't know what persecution is compared to, to the Chinese or first century Christians where they're being thrown to the lions and stuff like that. Hmm. So he's teaching us, he, he's establishing a kingdom that is different, but it, it's ultimately the kingdom that's going to be in the image of God because it's not about gaining power through through force and through violence. That's how that's how rulers have always ruled. If you mess with me, you're going to be put to death. Well, yeah, it's pride. It's pride is the the exerting factor in every every historical kingdom. Yeah. So, how are you tying all of this to the temple? So, the temple is, and, and I think we, you, I know you and Dina have talked about this. We remember. The temple is patterned after the Garden of Eden. And so the which temple is a temple is, itself. Which is a temple itself. And so ultimately what a temple is is the, is the place where God can dwell with mankind. Right. It's not that that's everything else stems from that concept. It's not a place of for sacrifices. It's a place where God dwells and because he dwells there, if you're going to approach the king, you're going to bring a gift, i.e. a sacrifice. If you mess up, you need to bring a sacrifice to ensure that, that, that his house is cleansed. That's what the, the sin sacrifices were about. And a lot of times we've been raised with this idea that it's either the physical temple or the spiritual temple. Right? right. That Yeshua, when he proclaimed himself to be the temple, he was doing away with the physical temple. Well, that's I a problem. Somebody tell me that. I had somebody tell me that the other day, and I was like, okay, go ahead. That's extremely problematic, considering why would he bother cleansing the temple if, if he was doing away with the temple? Why did the disciples continue to meet there even after Pentecost? Why did, in the Acts 21, why did the, to prove that, that Paul was loyal, did the, the head of the believers in Jerusalem tell Paul to cleanse himself from a vow and four others, which would cause him to bring 15 sacrifices, 15 animal sacrifices, if they thought the temple was done away with. But when we go back and we understand the original concept of the temple, the tabernacle, it's, 
It's about God dwelling with you. And you see this in Leviticus 26. He says, uh, Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. So God had always intended for the community to be the temple, as well as there to be a physical tabernacle itself. It, it wasn't one or the other. It was both combined, and it's the community that's supposed to be expanding the temple outwards, right? And so, you know, we, we know the history of, of Israel failing to do this. But when you get to the New Testament, when you really understand temple language, it's all over the place. So, so um, how can people really get a hold of this concept or these concepts that you've laid out? I mean, obviously, you have a teaching on, you have a, a short version of this, yeah. uh, but can they purchase this anywhere, or is this specifically uh, something that you offer on your website? Well, I, I actually am... I, I finished the DVD cover last week, but I'm, I'm going to be uh, putting this on DVD as well. Uh, I'm actually probably going to announce it on Facebook tomorrow for, for orders for people who don't want to commit to, like, a monthly website. Good. Um, so, and that will be the four-hour version that will be on right. DVD. Uh, there's also a really, really good book. If you want to understand the concept of the temple throughout Scripture, and I, I don't completely agree with their conclusion because they think the physical temple is done away with, and I disagree with that uh, because of the evidence I just presented there. But it's a book called God Dwells Among Us. It's by G.K. Beale and Mitchell yeah. Kipp. I know G.K. Beale. Yeah, it's a, it's a short book. It's like maybe 100, 150 pages, I think. But it really is fantastic at, sh at teaching you temple language and teaching you these patterns of, of what the temple was really about, about God dwelling with us, and how that's, you know, all these times that people argue about the deity of Yeshua. I'm sure you, you've run into those, those uh, <laughs> arguments. Do yeah, you realize that all of them, if you read those verses, they're talking about temple language. Well, here's the problem. Tabernacled among us. Uh, the world doesn't understand temple language, and that's a that's a there's a there's a scarcity of information on this. But oh, yeah. this is the battle Dean and I have. Colossians one, I think it's verse nineteen. It says it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. Now let me ask you a question: Where in the Hebrew Bible does the presence of God dwell? In the temple. In the temple. Where did right. it not dwell in the first century? Where did it not dwell? It, they, that, this is something the rabbis knew. Even that, you know, they even talk about the Mishnah that the, the Shekinah, the, the glory cloud, was never gone. It had left the, the temple. Yes, and that was one of the requirements for the exile to be finished. Was that the glory of God returned to Israel? And here is Yeshua, who is the temple of God with the fullness of God dwelling in him. And so, you know, again, people are arguing about. Is he the father? Is he the son? Is you know blah 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 all this stuff? The, the, we're we're asking questions that the New Testament's not trying to answer. The New Testament's trying to tell us he is the temple that is filled with the presence of God. Um, you know this is something that I know very very well, but you've got eighteen hundred years 
of this conversation, and it was wrong from the day the first conversation occurred. So I understand that, but that's a hard one to kind of, you know, break into because people yeah. people see the Trinity concept. They see this whole thing that is not really – in other words, the disciples would not understand these conversations that we've been <laughs> debating for 1,800 years, and the average believer has no concept that that's how they would have looked at it. Exactly. So, they're yeah, they're thinking you know, temple language. We're trying to apply, uh, you know, uh, Greek phys or, or Greek philosophy, and and also, uh, the you know the anti-Semitic values that the church fathers placed on those doctrines that raised up a lot of the Western theological stuff that we have. It, sure. Ryan, we're we're really kind of out of time here, and uh, I mean. See, the problem is, folks, I get what he's saying. I really get it for the most part. But it's, you have to follow this stuff. You have to dig into it. And you have to keep one thing in mind. The Father is restoring us back to what he's doing, which requires us to leave the place we've been in order to see that. That's one of the reasons Ryan does so well on his website with all of the information we're talking about tonight. Ryan, I, I really have to kind of cut us off here. I hate it. I can, can I do this for the next two hours. Can I throw out one little nugget? Little nugget? Say it again. Can I throw out one more little nugget before we close? Yes, sir. All right. Remember we talked about the image is supposed to be filled with the presence of God, but not yes. limited to idols? What happens at Pentecost in Acts 2? When the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit filling people, that is, they're now in the image of God, and so the presence of God can fill them. They're a new creation. New creation. They become the true images of God that we're always created to be. And, and I should mention, too, that they didn't become Christians. They became new creations. In other words, God didn't call them a religious group. He called them the new creation, the restored part of what he was always intending and we just yep. kind of have to get away. I really believe we have to get away from the religious concepts and just understand the kingdom concepts. So I know, Dean, I appreciate you being here. Uh, remember, folks, rootedintour.com. You can check out Ryan White's stuff. You can join his website and be a member. Uh, yeah, I know why Dina just absolutely adores you, and she does. She speaks very highly of you. I wish we could do another two hours of this, but... But we can't, and that's just the way it is. <laughs> so, Ryan, thank you for co-hosting for a couple of uh, shows with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a really good time. Yeah, and people, I really do encourage you. Go to his website, check it out. And if you're kind of searching for more than what you're getting, then you, you I strongly recommend rootedintour.com, Mr. Ryan White. Thank you so much. Of course, You've been listening to Returning to Eden with Jeff Morton, my co-host, Dina Dye. Dr. Dye will be back next week. And so we just want to thank you for tuning in. Brian, I I just love this. This was a lot of fun. really appreciate it. And you really kind of gave me a, a road to go look at now. So that's really, really cool. I love that. So uh, do you have any last words before we end the program? 
no, I'm I'm good. Thanks for having me. It was a uh, a great time. I, I always enjoy talking about this and talking to fellow believers. So I had a really great time. Thanks. Yeah, you bet. And uh, folks, just a reminder that if you have something that you want to pr promote, like Dr. Green, uh, we're going to have him on the show talking about his stuff. Just put together an MP3, no longer than a minute. Send it to uncoloringrace at gmail.com. We'll take a peek at it. Uh, we don't charge very much, and we'll randomly play it uh, on our broadcast. We do have about 1,200 of you on average that are checking out our archive shows, and we really, really, really do appreciate that. But if you have something you want to promote, just contact me, and we can talk about all that in an email. Or just call me at 253-448-4777. Again, this is Jeff Morton uh, with Ryan Wright returning to Eden, and we'll see you next week. Dina will be back, and she'll tell us all about iron. God bless you guys. Shalom, shalom. Bye-bye.